Hello, everyone. You are watching the Truth That Heals podcast. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. And today I'm joined by fellow podcaster, Andrew Pledger. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. And I'm so happy to have you here. I've been following some of your podcasts and Recently, I saw that you were on the indoctrination and you've been so busy with uh, so many activities and you're always posting information on your Instagram and it's an honor to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. So I wanted to start it off by allowing you to introduce your life to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... For kind of like an overview kind of intro for people who don't know me my name is andrew pledger and i grew up in the ifb which for people who don't know what that is that stands for independent fundamental baptist and it's as i left i found out that it was a cult it was very obvious once i dug into cult education i kind of laughed at myself that it was something i didn't realize when i was in it but when you're in it and you're raised in it, it's your whole world. It's so normalized. And I was homeschooled my entire life for the purpose of being indoctrinated into specifically the IFB or like fundamentalist Christianity and also being in the closet as a gay man and grappling with that as I deal with a lot of religious trauma from a lot of the hateful messages and really a lot of psychological and emotional abuse that I experienced in that environment and at home and eventually I found my way to Bob Jones University which is a fundamentalist Christian university in Greenville South Carolina I was there for three and a half years and I was kicked out my senior year my very last semester I was expelled because I openly <clears throat> sorry I openly told my story of experiencing religious trauma as a queer person and leaving fundamentalist Christianity and I was interviewed by the author Josh Harris who wrote the book I Kiss Aiden Goodbye and that was my first time telling my story and really sharing with the world a photo series that I created kind of going through my own emotional journey of experiencing religious trauma and so since escaping that environment I've been on my own healing journey through therapy through writing my book through activism through podcasting and you know, I'm thankful that I'm out and that I'm able to tell my story and also help other survivors heal. So you said that you were kicked out from Bob Jones University. Mm -hmm. Were you kind of relieved that you were kicked out or was there, some might see it as, oh, finally, I get to be free from this environment or was it more painful to you hmm. yeah I would say I was feeling a lot of mixed emotions when that happened one of those emotions was just relief 
and kind of peace. It was like this weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. But the other part that I was feeling was um, a lot of anxiety and uncertainty because that had been my whole world. Yes, it was so toxic, but it was comfortable because I knew how to navigate with it and deal with it, even though it was still harmful and abusive. But there's dealing with those two things was difficult. Um, and I think it was good for me still to get out of that environment because there was so much trauma that was triggered from being at Bob Jones in another fundamentalist Christian environment. And I didn't realize to the full extent of how much a toll it took on my nervous system until I actually got out of it because my nervous system only knew unsafety and being hypervigilant. So when I was out of that environment, you know, of course, when I was in it, I knew it was harmful. But when you don't know a safe environment or a healthy environment, you don't have anything to compare it to. So I would say overall, it was relief to get out and it was better for my mental health and well-being. I kind of want to understand how was that environment at school? How did do you, how do you think your peers who were very Christian, let's say, I'm assuming they were all very Christian, how did you feel they they saw you? Did they see you as part of the community? Did, did they treat you with love and kindness? and that Christian brotherhood, or was it the complete opposite? I had a mixed experiences there. There were a lot of really great, wonderful people that I met that were loving. And there were also a lot of people that weren't nice and were they were not kind at all. Um, but immediately when I started going to Bob Jones, leading up to that, I dreaded it, but there wasn't really many other options for me because I was homeschooled my whole life and my parents would only help pay for a fundamentalist Christian college and finding a fundamentalist Christian college that actually has a legit degree that's really hard so Bob Jones was the only fundamentalist Christian college that was kind of nearby ish and that also had a legit degree like it would be worth something when I graduated and and also like I knew even though it was a strict environment I knew I needed to have time away from my parents to try to like individuate and just become my own person um, but going to Bob Jones I was really scared about what would happen how people would treat me so I just stayed really low-key tried not to really call much attention to myself and like for me that was pretty normal I never really felt like I belonged anywhere growing up so I learned how to navigate that just by isolating which is not it's not healthy at all but when you are not like really loved and accepted and you're not able to be yourself you can't really connect with people you can't be honest with people and you feel like you have to hold yourself back and it was so exhausting to experience that of constantly monitoring what you're doing and what you're saying and how you appear to people to try to fit in. So for me, like getting a break from social environments when I was in them 
was nice. And when I was in social environments, I still felt so lonely. I I wasn't seen. I wasn't heard. I wasn't understood. And I thought that I could stay low key, but because of all the activities we were forced to do while going to that school made it harder. So I was forced to be in a discipleship group that met several nights a week. It was required of all students who lived on campus. So I had to do that. I was forced to join a society, which all students had to do. And a society is really the fundamentalist Christian version of like a fraternity or a sorority, except it's not fun and it's not cool at all. <laughs> and and it's interesting because it was similar to chapel, which we were required to go to chapel whenever it was held. That was usually like four, I think it was four days a week. And it was just basically like a, a, um, a really like church for like 35 to 40 minutes. And we also were required to go to church services on Sunday, at least two, either two on Sunday or one on Sunday and one on Wednesday. So we had to go to at least two church services during the week. So we were forced to do all these different religious activities. So I couldn't really like try to specifically find a group that I wanted to hang out with necessarily like there were some options outside of that but being in those environments forced other people I guess or forced me to I guess be in social environments I would not have like chosen to be in and I think people noticed I was different and didn't really fit in I think it was just pretty obvious and there were a few guys on my freshman dorm floor who just were relentless with just harassing me and annoying me all my freshman year. Just following me around, calling me names, um, thinking that they're so cool. And I eventually, like, that took a toll on my mental health, like having to deal with that several times a week, being harassed because how people perceive my sexual orientation and you know I couldn't really talk to anyone about that at the school because I would have been the one that got in trouble like technically I wasn't even allowed to be there because of my sexual orientation so that were there was that dilemma with that and it took me a while to find people who were loving but I think I was I was there for I think it was my second year that I was there that I really started to find good people who were kind to me. Okay, so there's a there was a mixture of some people who were kind mm-hmm. and then and then you have your hypocrites. Yes. You didn't feel like you were fitting in at all or was there like a confusion whether you fit or not? Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel like I fit in at all because number one like internally i did not want to go to a christian college but i didn't there were no other options and like this happens to a lot of students at these schools like their parents basically force them to be in this environment and so there's just that dilemma of okay i don't want to be here but i can't tell anyone that because they view that as oh well you're not a true christian if you don't like going to a christian college Mm -hmm. and it's funny because I have a few Christian friends who still go there and like they hated that school so much and they just felt deceived when they got there because it wasn't what it was 
presented to them. And it was just such a harmful and toxic environment. But yeah, I just didn't feel like I, I fit in because I was afraid of, you know, before getting there, I was afraid of discrimination, which I experienced from a bunch of guys on campus. And I was honestly afraid like of being forced to go into counseling there, really like conversion therapy. And um, I just didn't, and you know, at that point, I think I already had my doubts about fundamentalist Christianity and was like internally wanting to leave it. But like that indoctrination was so ingrained, like it just is so scary, like the thought of even leaving that because the danger that would ha- I was told would happen to me if I left and the horrible things. So there was still like that internal conflict of that. Um, was that an indoctrination, that fear? Was that something that was from the university or did it come from another source? I mean, it, it came from my childhood and it was you know, those same beliefs, they were reinforced at the university and really um, like phobia indoctrination, um, the fear like you're caused or made to feel so afraid of leaving that environment that it doesn't matter what goes on in that environment. Leaving is always the worst option because it's so much worse on the outside. It's so much more scarier. So I was always told that if you leave this faith, or this belief system that you will live a completely miserable life. God will curse you. People on the outside are evil and want to like eat you alive. They don't act. They will never care about you. Only Christians possess love. People who aren't Christians don't have any love in their hearts whatsoever. Like you will, you will be miserable in the outside world. And did you believe all of that or were you questioning it? I I believe that for the longest time but i did really start questioning that in really at the school because and what really caused that belief to change was when i decided to start breaking the rules at bob jones so so that it wasn't so miserable and because i had always been a rule follower my entire life like the typical kind of people pleaser And that environment, always denying my own needs and always putting other people before myself and thinking that needs were selfish also. And it was when, I think it was the, towards the end of my freshman year, I just got so depressed and so suicidal. And I was always taught, oh, just when this happens, pray. Because throughout all of my teen years, I was blamed in shame for my mental health and I was spiritually bypassed and was just told, just read your Bible and pray. That's the only source of mental health is, oh, you're not connecting with God. Um, But I didn't realize I was dealing with a lot of trauma from my past and a lot of needs that weren't being met. And really, I just had to sit down and take ownership and really claim my own autonomy. Be like, what do I need? Okay, I know I need community, but I can't find it here. So what? So I, I made the decision to break the rule of going to a, a progressive church, which is really ridiculous. But that was that was breaking the rule for going to. A- yes, 
Yeah. So Bob Jones University, they have a list of churches that are approved that you have to choose from. And if you want to go to a church outside of their approved church list, you have to like let them know and submit it and they can approve or deny it. And I had a friend who they wanted to go to a church off the list, but they were denied um, the autonomy to go because they had contemporary Christian music. So this school is very, very rule-based, very legalistic. And that friend was so frustrated. And for me, I was like, I'm not even going to submit a request because I know that going to a progressive church is not allowed at all. And really, it was about information control. That's why they wanted you to they wanted you to go to a church that taught their doctrines. Yeah. That was basically the approved church list. It was just a mini version of Bob Jones at these little churches. Um, but when I went to this progressive church, I met a family and they lived across the street from Bob Jones. So they were very kind, very loving. And I was shocked to find out that they didn't believe in the fundamentalist Christian gospel of, oh, you have to accept Jesus into your heart. And when you do, you're saved for eternity. You have the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe that. They just loved, they loved Jesus's teachings and loved to follow them, but they didn't identify as Christians. And they, they didn't even believe Jesus was the son of God. He was just, um, I guess, a a leader to them who showed love and compassion and had good teachings. And so it, it caused cognitive dissonance because I was like, these people are so loving and so caring and they don't believe what I was taught. These, these are people who are supposed to believe and they're not supposed to have love or care in their hearts. I don't understand. So like that cognitive dissonance of that experience not matching what I was taught really caused me to question that. Wow, you said quite a quite a few things that I found very interesting. Uh, going back just a little bit, you said that at the university, they were very strict when it came to rules and it was very um, legalistic. Would you say that that was a reflection of your environment at home? Oof. Yeah, it, it most definitely was. Um, what I've learned is that a lot, I mean, really these environments, they're authoritarian and a lot of these fundamentalist families, they, they usually have an authoritarian parenting style. So with an authoritarian parenting style, for example, my family, my parents set very strict rules and there was no questioning and there was no consideration of our needs. It was always, they were always more important than us. Like they were in the position of power, higher position, the people in the lower position don't matter. So growing up, I was told by my parents that, you know, adults are always right, even when they're wrong. So I can never question authority and it was so scary to do that because i was taught that god puts authority figures in your life and if you're disobeying them you're disobeying god and that is deserving as a sense so that's deserving of eternal damnation and i was also taught that obeying if you obey your parents you will live a long life yeah and so my parents would tell me that you know if you obey us you live a long life if you don't you won't live a very long life so it was always about us submitting to their authority 
not questioning it, not having the autonomy to really explore or see different perspectives. And we weren't allowed to, the environment I grew up in, we weren't allowed to have our own opinions. Really, we, we didn't express our feelings or emotions. And if there was kind of an outburst that happened because of having to pin up so many feelings, emotions, and expressions, it would usually like explode and there'd be so much shame and so much blame around it. And, and like I said, like I was homeschooled my entire life. So, so much information control. And when I started to question later in my teen years and I tried to purchase a book, well, sorry, I did purchase a book that like wasn't in alignment with the IFB. My dad took it away from me and wouldn't let me read it. He said, you can't read this. They don't align with our theology. You shouldn't read people who don't align with our theology, who don't think like us. And his explanation for that is really looking back, it's an example of um, dispensing of existence from uh, Lipton's criteria for thought reform, which was um, people who don't believe like we do don't matter. They're not legit. Like it automatically, they're automatically dismissed because they don't think or believe like us. And I was told that, oh, they don't believe like this. So they don't have the Holy Spirit. So they're not a real Christian. So a lot of information control growing up, a lot of behavior control um, in my environment. And like, of course, like I think there are times that children do need, you know, discipline. I don't think that should involve hitting a child, but we were really spanked a lot and hit a lot. So we learned to just conform like, oh, we knew what not to do so they don't spank us. And we were too afraid to speak up about our own opinions or anything because you're so afraid. Oh my gosh, what if they get angry? And, you know, my, my parents, they weren't the ones to like, they didn't really have angry outbursts. It was rare. My Usually it was my dad because I think he didn't know how to deal with his emotions at all. And they would just pin up and he would just have outbursts at random rare times. Um, but yeah, just that that system where authority figures are prioritized and people lo lower in the system do not matter. And that's how it was at Bob Jones University. The students were supposed to conform to the rules and it didn't matter if, if we are showing signs of harm from their rules. We're the problem, not the authority figures. So this is where I'm, I'm getting the cult vibes, you know, even <laughs> it's like it's growing even more in this part of the story because I'm hearing you sharing how even from, you know, at home, you're being punished just for even if your thought is going in the wrong direction they're gonna kick your ass so mm -hmm. that it can it can follow this certain line and then i found it interesting how with that book that you wanted to read you weren't allowed to read because the author of that book didn't have the exact same way of thinking which makes me go makes me wonder about that person or persons that you said that you met who weren't Christian, but they believed in Christ as a leader. And you're sharing how you still witnessed love in them. 
but then going back to your childhood and the way you were brought up uh, with your parents, with your father, anyone who doesn't think like us, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So what were your views on what were what did you think about people who didn't believe the way you believed? Did you, did you think that they were all evil and that they were people who were just uh, wicked? What were your thoughts? And how did yeah. how did meeting this people kind of open your eyes a bit? Yeah, I mean, growing up, being indoctrinated into that, I took on what my parents believed. So yes, I believed anyone outside of our belief system was evil and wicked and they were going to hell because that's what I was taught. Like I believed as a child that my neighbors, I thought they were evil because they were Methodist. They weren't fundamentalist Baptists. And I laugh at it looking back, but it, you know, it was sad then that maybe that relationship could have been better or we could have been closer friends than we actually were if we didn't have that view. And it felt good to look down on other people who are different than us. It, it gave us feeling of superiority. Oh my gosh, look at them, they're evil. And I remember being with my parents in public and then being like, oh my gosh, that person has tattoos. That is so sad. They are lost. They are not saved. So just dumb things like that. But saying that, oh, like observing people they didn't conform. It was like, oh, poor them. We have the answer. They don't. We are saved. They are lost and headed for eternal damnation. And, you know, growing up, I think as I start to really develop my own personality more, it started to bother me, honestly, the judgment that I saw that my parents had on other people and that my church had on other people. Because even judgment for things I thought were just so unimportant, whether it was like music or the way people worshipped or different Christian beliefs. It was like in the IFB, we were like the golden standard of Christianity. We were the best. And anyone who didn't agree or had a, even if there were a little bit different views, they were a lesser Christian. And kind of the message that I got is that if you're not going to be a fundamentalist Christian or a part of the IFB, you might as well not be a Christian at all because there's no other way to do it. That's the best way. And that God is more pleased with us because we try so hard to follow all these rules and we live our lives in this manner of separating from the world, not watching secular TV, not listening to secular music. Um, where women have to submit to their husbands. Women are not wearing pants. They're wearing dresses to the ground. Men are in power. <laughs> All these different things. They had their own idea of what it was supposed to be like. And anyone who differed was evil. So yeah, growing up, I I saw other people believe differently as evil. But I started to really question that because I think it bothered my personality. And even in my teen years, at this church we would go we would go soul winning every week so for people yeah so for people who don't know what soul winning is in the ifb soul winning is when as like a group you go to usually there's a, a van driving you or a bus from the church that someone is driving and they're driving church members 
and you go into neighborhoods or apartment complexes and we would hand out pamphlets about our message of salvation or the gospel. So basically, if we were going to people's houses and homes, knocking on their doors and telling them they were going to hell if they didn't conform to our doctrine. We were trying, we were fervent and felt a sense of urgency of, you know, we have the answer to save people from eternal damnation. We have to share it because it was compared to like, you know, I was told growing up, if you had uh, the cure to cancer, would you hide it? That was a comparison. So we were told we have the answer to save the world from eternal damnation and we have to share it. This is what, this is your life purpose. This is why God created you and why you happen to be in this group because God predestined this and he has this plan. So you need to take that responsibility. And I remember being told, even at like my church's Christian camp, I heard like a horrific sermon on, I mean, it's funny. I don't, I don't know if in that environment they called it a sermon. I think they called it a lesson because it was done by a woman. So I think when it's a woman, it's a lesson. And when it's a man, it's preaching. But I just wanted to throw that in there, the the double standards and the hypocrisy in that. But there is this woman giving a lesson. And I remember her saying to us as like middle school children, you know, you could be the reason that someone burns in a, in hell for eternity. And she like enacted someone burning alive in hell and what it's like. And it was just so emotional. And it was just really looking back. I'm like, okay, that is like psychological abuse to do that to children, to say that, to put that pressure on them, to say, you're going to meet so many people who don't believe what we believe and because they don't they're going to hell and if you don't tell them they could be the reason like their blood is on your hands and as i've gotten older and looking back i'm like why does this god put so much pressure on us to save people <laughs> like what why did this god even create this if he didn't want people to go like it was just so many like as i and as i got older and started to really develop some critical thinking skills. I was like, what? Like, it doesn't make sense. So it, it took uh, many years to not view, have that us versus them mentality. But I think that family was a big part in majorly shifting that and being like, wow, like that's really not true. Going back, that there was a part of your life where you said you were soul saving or what's the term for that? Oh, soul winning. Soul winning. Uh, do you have any stories, any maybe violent encounters, or maybe they were happy encounters uh, that you can share with us, if you have any? Yeah, I mean, a majority of them are like mostly boring. I would say the most interesting one, which I think was another like another thing that kind of started to make me question was we were knocking on someone's door and when they opened it, they were Jehovah's Witness. It's like a cult versus cult kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So it was so funny because like he started, this person started asking me and this, uh, my other partner questions about what we believe. And for me, like I was just blank because he he was basically asking why we believe what we believe. 
And that was when I realized I wanted to say, oh, because I've been told to. I was told. And then, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, like there's something wrong with that. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) (laughs) Someone told me to, and I'm not questioning it and aren't taking it. Someone told me this is truth and I have to accept it. So he, he told me to make sense. He's like, how does like God three in one make sense? Or as three separate people, but still in one. I can, anyways, he's like, can you make that make sense to me? And like, that was something I was never taught to make sense of, at least not until like my, my teen years, I guess, in like my indoctrination and homeschooling. But at that point, I had never questioned three and one. <laughs> so I was like, like, I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it doesn't. And you should really question your beliefs before you start knocking on people's doors and tell them to conform to your religion. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, oof, wow. Did he? Did this uh, Jehovah Witness say, and by the way, here's some pamphlets from the Watchtower. I was surprised that he didn't give us pamphlets from Jehovah's Witness. And, but he, he said he was, and he didn't believe we believed <laughs> And I can't remember if he said that their way was the right way or not, but I know that, I mean, every cult believes their way is the right way anyways, but, (laughs) but it's um, funny, it's funny how he used critical thinking, you know, phrases to kind of get you mm -hmm. to think critically. And I wonder if that person still is a Jehovah's Witness. I wonder too. I don't know. Do do you still know where he lives? He can go over there and knock on the door. (laughs) No, no, don't do that. I'm I'm just joking. Um, but now going, now we're kind of going back and forth, but now going to that family who you said that mm-hmm. they still had love. Was there ever a piece inside of you that was like, oh no, I got to do soul winning right now. I got to convert them. Was that still in you or had that all, had that already kind of dissipated? Yeah. I mean, at that point, um, I, th- I think I still struggled at that point with not wanting to believe in the fundamentalist gospel, but still part of me still believing in it. And at that point, I didn't care about soul winning anymore. Um, again, like that cognitive dissonance of like not wanting to believe in it, but part of me still because of the indoctrination. But to me, I think I, I really, I think saw that approach as hateful. I don't think telling people they're going to hell. <laughs> I don't think that's life changing in a positive way. <laughs> Not in a positive way. It can it's fucked up me and a lot of people that indoctrination, but I don't think it's positive. And I I think it is sad because a lot of these people, you know, it's I've tried to have still some compassion for people who believe that, but I remember the urgency of feeling like, oh, I have to do this, like just the dread of if I don't, like they're going to suffer. And it's really sad that people are indoctrinated to believe that and have that burden on them. Um, But for me at that point, I was ready to be open-minded to be like, what can I learn from this family? Because they were the exact opposite of what I grew up in. (laughs) They were a very liberal family had access and loved learning and had all kinds of information. They loved learning different religions, different beliefs, and 
very strong emphasis on critical thinking and even questioning your own perspective, which is very new to me. So being exposed to that, I realized how much I had to learn. And I think also meeting people on the outside who were educated, fully educated, and had critical thinking skills, I think it made me realize also like how much educational neglect I had experienced. So for me at that point, I was I was ready to let go of those beliefs, but they were still so ingrained. And so with all these beliefs that you said that were really indoctrinated in you, hammered in you, I've kind of been avoiding uh, one big topic uh, and that is the source of the indoctrination, you know, outside of the family. And that is the actual church. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share a bit about what was this church movement and why is it that you find it to be either toxic or culty or both or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was raised in the independent fundamentalist Baptist movement. And just for a little quick background on my parents, they both went to a fundamentalist or really an IFB college called Hiles Anderson, which is a really big influential part in the IFB movement. And that school is attached to, I would say it's America's most well-known IFB church. It's like first, I think, (laughs) I think it's called first Baptist of Hammond or something like that as in Indiana. And I would say it was probably, I don't know if it is anymore, but in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it was the largest IFB church in America. Um, And so my parents went to the college attached to that church. That's where they met. And my dad was studying to be a pastor. And he was a pastor for several years before I was born. So they were both heavily indoctrinated into that. And my mother became a Christian school teacher at the church that I was raised in. And I think my parents, they attended that church for over 20 years. And just kind of digging into it, it definitely was a cult as I've done education on it. I'll first start with the leader. So my parents went to that church because of the pastor, because of the pastor or the leader that was there. I remember from a young age how enamored they were with him. And growing up, as I got older, I just, I didn't understand their obsession with him. Whenever they would talk about him, it was like they would almost, or sometimes start crying whenever they would start talking about him. They were just so blown away by him. And they thought he was like the best person in the world. And I think, you know, they in a sense, deified him, even if they didn't admit that to themselves, I think in a sense they did. And that just didn't click with me. I didn't have this strong admiration for him. I just, I didn't understand it. Um, I guess I could understand because he was so fervent in his beliefs and wouldn't back down. I guess that's why they looked up to him. But I was bothered a lot by his sermons and the way he presented things. He was very fear-based. 
but he also had that sense of love i think too which is kind of the contradictory or paradoxical thing mm -hmm. he and i think that's a common thing kind of the love bombing of how we have this extreme feeling of love and acceptance all at once and then it suddenly switched with you know if you don't conform <laughs> you're going to burn in hell in hell for eternity so dealing with those conflicting messages and being love bombed like that but as i got older and just realized the obsession that people had with him and and realized not having the language then but looking back being like oh like that was a flag or a red flag of it being culty and one main example of this was that this church it had a special service it would only do once a year and this service was dedicated to the history of our church they would hand out pamphlets that had a history of the church all the buildings we had built all the money that we had raised just kind of just it was really like grandiose of like oh look at us look at all that we've done look at how great we are look at all the money we've gotten and the buildings we've built because it started as a small church of like probably like 10-ish people and it grew in the 90s to probably like 2,000 people wow that's a big so move. yes so and it had its own christian school attached to it it had two other church buildings so as they grew there was a small church down the road and they built another church that could fit probably around like 500 to 800 people and then they had another auditorium on the campus that had it could fit in the auditorium i would say like 1500 maybe and or maybe a thousand because the reason I say 2000 is because the church had a bus ministry and they would have people who rode on the buses in another church building um, next to us. And looking back, like it was really racist because people who came on the buses were people of color and they were in a completely separate building than the white people, the white people, we had our own church building and the people of color were separated in their own but it was never explicitly said like white people go here people of color go here it was oh the people who drive in their cars we go to the um we they called it a a sunday school which stood for auto and b sunday school stood for bus so that's where the bus Wait, riders so went was this part of the history when it was during like segregation days in america or was this a more now now kind of like more recent. Yeah, I don't know about their history of dealing with people of color, but I'm assuming they still separated or didn't want them, period. But I don't know that. So I can't say 100%. But growing up, they, it was, they were technically segregated. I guess my last time at that church was in December of 2021. Yeah. So that was the Buffs ministry was still going on. And the thing that I loved when I left is that as the years went on, the church attendance greatly went down just from 2010 and onwards, especially in 2010, there was a great exodus that happened. A lot of people just left. And I, I, I don't remember why, but I do remember that happening and just a lot of young people and younger couples getting out and I never really, I've had a few people from the environment reach out who did leave and they were like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry you grew up in that. We got out, our family got out because 
we saw the harm that it was doing to us and our kids. And I'm sorry that, you know, you were there so long, but I got off a little track, but back to like the leader of the group, there was a moment in this service that was dedicated to really the history of the church and all that we had built and the money and how we, what else we wanted to build or expand on. I remember a church member going in the pulpit and praying being, and praying to God and being like, dear God, help us to be more like brother Bobby. And that was our pastor. So in my mind, I was like, that really caused cognitive dissonance. Cause I was like, we're supposed to be more like Jesus, but this person just prayed to God to be more like brother Bobby, which is a man, the leader of our so church. Did, did the church community see him as kind of like equal to, I'm it wasn't explicitly said, but through their behavior, I felt like that's what it communicated. And whenever people talked about Brother Bobby, they would just just go absolutely crazy about it. And you know, seeing him as the same with God would have gone against fundamentalist teachings, which is why I didn't understand why a church member would pray to be they would be more like Brother Bobby. So which was just so much cognitive dissonance. I mean, I don't think it was, I don't think people would admit to themselves that they saw him as equal with God, but I think they projected their view of God onto him, that the, he was like the closest thing to like God's presence to them, I think. And, and was Bobby there during that church event? Mm -hmm. well, yes. Was, was Bobby like, hey, afterwards, hey, everyone, you know, I'm just a human being. You know, pray, you know, don't don't pray to be like me. Let's pray to be like Jesus. Did he at least kind of humble down uh, people's no. views of him or he just embraced? No, them? no, he never he never said anything about that. And he did have his moments where people would just absolutely praise him. And he would say at times like, y'all, like, please stop doing that. I don't want to feel prideful and i don't want to like build up my ego I and mean, then part of me is like is he saying because then that would make people do it more mm. <laughs> they're like oh look at you you're so great you're so <laughs> humble <laughs> yeah so, par so part of part of me wondered i'm like is this an act that he really like he's saying don't and he's trying to look as good as possible and i don't know but that was something i wondered about but i remember my own parents saying that you know when he died, I think in like 2018, I remember my parents saying that he was the last great Christian on this planet. And honestly, like I wasn't, I wasn't really sad when he died at all <laughs> because just, just from the harm from that group and the control that he had over my parents, because the reason they stayed so long at that church was because of him and they were extreme fundamentalist Christian they, my parents had extreme beliefs and another red flag for really like my parents obsessions with him was around that time in 2010 when people started leaving the church I remember my parents saying oh I can't believe those people are being unfaithful to brother Bobby we are going to stick by his side we're going to be faithful to brother Bobby and we're going to support him and again I'm like what <laughs> being faithful to brother Bobby? what about being faithful to the person you supposedly worship like jesus or something 
but that was something that stuck out to me as a child of them looking down on people who left and being like, oh, they're not faithful to Brother Bobby. Oh, no. And, okay, so we have we have this character, Brother Bobby. Um, and you were saying earlier how I think one of the messages of the church is that anyone who doesn't believe like us, and this is like the message of so many different uh, either religions or communities or, you know, breaking it down even more cults. Mm-hmm. Well, they say if they don't believe like us. They go into hell. Mm-hmm. Did that idea, did that message of other people going to hell, do they even say it to their own members that they're going to hell? Like, like to you or to other mm. people oh, for not being totally faithful or if you're thinking about leaving straight to mm. hell. Mm. Yeah. So <clears throat> a lot of people who left didn't tell people they were leaving. They were just gone. <laughs> <laughs> so they I think that said, they said a lot because I remember people being like, they never told us they were leaving or thinking about it. And looking back, I'm like, that was a smart decision. That was smart to just disappear and to like not tell people or anyone <laughs> that you're leaving. Um, and you know, when when my parents' friends, if they were close to someone and that person was gonna leave, they would usually tell them just to at least let them know. But um church members never ever went to church staff. Maybe a few did, but it wasn't regular. Or normal for that to happen to people to be like this is why we're leaving blah 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 like we're not a for people to say like either talk about issues or talk or what i was taught growing up is like oh like you know you should tell you should tell them that you're leaving and that you're, you don't have any hard feelings or blah 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 just so there's no animosity there but i think i'm glad a lot of people didn't say that and left and didn't didn't get shamed or blamed but you know, we, the weird thing about the IFB is that they, when it comes to the hell message, is that they claim that you can be certain of securing a spot in heaven if you believe what they believe. Once you believe what they believe and you say this prayer, um, as a child, it was called like the ABC prayer, like admit, believe, confess, so admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, confess your sins, say you're sorry, and that like you want eternal salvation. And when you do that, that means, oh, you are now saved and you have a secure spot in heaven and it cannot be taken away from you. But they would always try to make you doubt it by saying, oh yes, if you don't love participating in this church or in church in general, that's a sign that it didn't really work or you didn't really believe enough or you're not really saved. So you could be going to hell if you don't happily or automatically, if it's not natural for you to follow these rules, I don't, maybe the, I don't, maybe the Holy spirit isn't in you and you're not really saved. So it would always make you doubt it. So of course you're, if you don't conform, that means you could be going to hell. You know, I was always taught that loving to read your Bible, praying every day, um, always confessing for your sins doing if you they're like you're supposed to love and want to do these things if you don't that's a sign that you're not saved so that control of 
really is a dangling carrot. Mm -hmm. the thing. <laughs> and that was so confusing to me because they would throw this like love message. And a lot of the times it wasn't love. It'd be like, when I was a child, when I said the prayer, this ABC prayer, I it was after the most horrific sermon on hell and descriptive I like ever heard at that point. And I struggled with sleep because of it. So of course, I had to have that security. I'm going to heaven to relieve that fear. So that's really, that was my conversion into Christianity was as an eight-year-old or seven or eight-year-old being told these horrific graphic descriptions of hell and of the torture and of the demons and of the fire and all of this and being told if I don't conform I would burn so that was how that worked out so for people who didn't believe in this fundamentalist gospel or even also I think it's in evangelicalism also this evangelical gospel if you didn't believe that you were you're going to hell. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus's teachings or even if you believe in Jesus was God. You have to believe that hell is real and that Jesus came to save us from hell. And you have to follow this prayer, which the prayer isn't even like in the Bible that they give us, which I learned later. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just kind of a formula of what they interpreted, I guess, from the Bible. And so anyone who didn't believe that they were going to hell. And if they showed signs of not aligning with the group, it's possible that they were going to hell. So it sounds like um, it's very easy to go to hell, even if you are an IFB. Uh, mm -hmm. Sounds like there's two, there's, there's two steps. One, ABC prayer, and two, shut up and conform, pretty much. Is, is mm -hmm. that it? Yeah. So right now that you just said the ABC prayer because you said it in the just a few minutes ago, so that means you're halfway to heaven. <laughs> I, mean, I guess so. Kind yeah, of, right. I mean, I don't really. It's interesting because, like, I don't believe technically in that anymore, but in their eyes, I did their stupid little prayer. So <laughs> technically, but do you think that yeah. some some members can you know do the prayers and conform? But inside, or maybe you went through this, you're just totally bullshitting yourself and you know you're just going through the motions. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of, I, I think there were people who like, I guess in a sense complied, but to be aware that you're bullshitting it, I think would be so anxiety inducing. And a lot of us, we're really taught in that environment how to interpret our own emotions. So, for example, in that environment, if you have that over those like overwhelming feelings in that environment, that's the Holy Spirit. So you, you feel that strong urge to say the sinner's prayer or get saved. That's what they call it. That's the Holy Spirit. You don't really think about the emotional manipulation. And what I realized is um, a manipulation tactic that is used a lot in the IFB is called the fear and release tactic. So they start off by causing you to feel so much fear, so much shame. And 
it's really where they give you the problem and they give you the solution. So they really break you down and make you feel so worthless and convince you that you are deserving of eternal damnation. There is nothing good inside of you. You cannot save yourself. You can't do it. It doesn't matter. You're not enough. You'll never be enough. You're evil and wicked in God's eyes. So that's how they would do it. And then they'd be like, oh, guess what? We have the answer. You don't have to feel so awful and feel that way. You don't have to fear death. You can be loved by God. You don't have to be seen as wicked in his sight. God provided us with um, salvation through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He loves you so much. And he cares so deeply, even though he hates you. With all this, you hear this at church. You hear you hear it at home. And then the way they treat you at school, you know, it's it's all very traumatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one would you say from these three had the mm. strongest impact? Or all three of them have an equal impact? I mean, I would say... Because I was raised in it for 18 years and being homeschooled, I would say the family and being homeschooled was the majority of it. Bob Jones was a small part of that, even though it was still so terrible and so triggering from all that past trauma. But the childhood was a majority of it. And those messages, really the religious trauma of from a young age being told and convinced that I was worthless, that I didn't deserve anything good. I was, you know, was going to hell and that there were actual spiritual beings or demons every, at every moment wanting to stray me away from the group's doctrines or beliefs. Just from a young age, put me in a state of like hyper vigilance and struggling with sleeping and struggling with nightmares. And eventually, like my own sexuality was also a big part of that trauma just the really i guess you would say like the queer trauma of like being taught homophobic beliefs like this environment was very anti lgbtq plus and they didn't even use the term lgbtq it was just sodomites so they use a lot of dehumanizing language to dehumanize the lgbtq community so and i had homophobic beliefs because i was taught to i was taught god destroyed a whole city because of that because he hates homosexuals and they're an abomination or anyone who isn't in this heteronormative standard and so from a young age like i took that on like i hated i mean i had never met openly queer people growing up at least or knowingly but i took on those beliefs and my parents had those beliefs and eventually when i became aware of my own sexuality that became internalized homophobia and just so much self-hatred just from all those years of indoctrination and caused a lot of um, mental health issues with depression anxiety and you know i didn't i didn't realize religious trauma was a thing i i never during that time when i was suffering in my teen years from depression anxiety panic attacks disassociation suicidal ideation all these different things I didn't think that, oh, I, maybe there were some moments, but like I wasn't allowed to question that system. So it's like, oh, like I'm being punished. This is punishment from God. I deserve this. And so just praying and asking for forgiveness or hoping that God was taken away. But being 
told to do the same thing over and over and it not working and that's insanity. So eventually I had to learn to question and be like, they are the problem. They're the problem. It's not me. And even coming to that conclusion was so hard because I was always taught that, oh yeah, religion is supposed to make your life so much better and give you so much peace and joy. But that wasn't what I was experiencing. So I was blamed and shamed and I had to be a better Christian. I had to believe more. I had to trust more. It was all on me. It was never the group. And when I internally questioned that and I came to the conclusion, I was like, okay, like this is not me. You know, I've been, this is so normal to me, but it's not okay. This just constant putting down and shaming. We're supposed to be free. We're supposed to be happy. So why are we still constantly being shamed and blamed? Why is there so much hatefulness in this environment and dehumanization? Um, but I think, you know, the experience of religious trauma from being queer and that environment and just the just the overall demonization of just your humanity in general of you can't trust yourself at all you're evil and just not being allowed to really think for yourself that you you know you can't trust your own intellect um just the years of that and even in my own family i remember i i was told by my parents from a young age i remember there were moments i would be like i would do something that i thought was good and I would be like, oh, like I did this good thing. I deserve like a, a piece of candy or something. And I remember my parents saying, no, like you don't deserve anything good. You deserve to burn in hell for eternity. So wait, for me, that, that's what they told you that you deserve as a child. Yes. Mm. And so from a young age, I learned very quickly that I couldn't get praise for anything that I did. Because at the core, I was wicked and deserving of eternal damnation. Even if I accepted the salvation, I I wasn't deserving of it at all. It's still awful. And we wouldn't be perfect until we got to heaven when we died. And so I learned very quickly from a young age that I couldn't express myself. I couldn't be loved for who I was. So the only way to get love and acceptance was to conform to the doctrines and the beliefs and to people please through that. And so, you know, I, there were a lot of developmental needs that were not met. I wasn't able to express myself or express my needs. I did not have that sense of safety and really not, ha I didn't, I don't have, I did not develop healthy attachments to my parents at all, which is not shocking, but realizing and seeing a lot of toxic patterns in my family it was very emotionally dysfunctional i was in a codependent relationship with my mother and my dad was a very cold person and you know as i've been writing my book and deconstructing there are just a lot of <clears throat> things that i've realized like this toxic environment and really cults influenced and a lot of patterns that I've seen, like, you know, the authoritarianism, um, narcissism, um, codependency, and just so much, so many abusive theologies and abuse that abuse thrives in the IFB um, so much because I think what people need to realize is the IFB is just like, it's not 
overseen by an organization. There's no one holding these churches accountable. They're all, like the name says, they're all independent. They can function however they want. So if someone wants to come in and help in the children's ministry, they don't have to background check that person. They don't have to question that. And that's a concern that I saw the church I grew up in was anyone who offered help to volunteer or help in the children's ministry, they would take anyone or drive buses, which had a lot of children on them. It didn't matter. And so that was concerning. And like, not to say that all IFB churches do that, but I think a lot of them do. They don't dig deeper. or They don't have the protocol to protect that. And when those things do happen and abuse comes out, the reputation of the pastor or the reputation of the church always goes before anything else in that environment. So you, in those environments, you think that they don't really give a damn about the victims? I don't. In the majority of them, I don't think they do. And if victims do come forward, they show they don't care by really shaming them or telling them that they're liars. And sadly, I've seen videos online of IFB pastors saying that this is an attack from the devil and of Satan and making it like they become the victim. It's kind of like the Darvo thing mm -hmm. going on there <laughs> that happens in these environments um they're they're the victim oh you're accusing us of this or oh this happened oh and the reputation of the church or the leader is always prioritized and did you ever get shamed for speaking out now that you have a podcast Oof. yeah so flash forward to when i did speak out um that that happened my senior year at bob Jones university I specifically made a photo series that portrayed my experiences with religious trauma and it kind of told that story. So I wanted to talk about it and tell my story and why I made the series. So, you know, I did that interview with Josh Harris mm -hmm. and I was ready for the consequences of it. And when it happened, I was surprised by the positive feedback I got from even a lot of Bob Jones students um, but I also heard that behind the scenes that there was a smear campaign that was going on at Bob Jones to try to get people from listening to my story, from reaching out to me, just, um, because I was a photographer, I had different, um, pictures that I had made. And even, you know, I was on their newspaper, their student newspaper, I was a photo editor, um, so I remember someone told me that like they were trying to remove anything on campus that had my name on it, removing, trying to remove my name. If, you know, if there was a photo that I took, cause I took a lot of photos at Bob Jones and uploaded it to their archive for them to use for like stock photos for different things. Like they're like, we can't use his photos. We can't attribute anything. It's like they were trying, they were basically trying to erase my existence that I'd ever been there just for your your uh what did you do again yeah the interview of like interview. talking about telling my story and like leaving fundamentalist christianity and talking about the toxicities in that environment and so i wasn't really surprised about that but i was glad that 
that didn't stop students from following me or reaching out to me. I had one mentor that did show compassion that I had known at Bob Jones, but otherwise the staff did not show compassion or love. Like they dispensed my existence. I was the them. I was the evil. I was the wicked one now. Um, the the rebellious, the led astray. And so when I was expelled from Bob Jones, I had to meet with like three other staff members and they were not, well, I mean, I think they attempted to be loving and compassionate, but I don't think it was. <laughs> um, I remember immediately because, you know, the, at least I know two of the staff members I was meeting with, they had seen the interview and, you know, this is basically my expulsion meeting. And instead of like, they did say, you know, we're sorry for what you've been through, but they still like defended people's actions and being like, oh, like people are imperfect. And, and for me, looking back, I'm like, you know, abuse is intentional, no matter what kind it is, whether it's emotional, psychological, mental, physical, sexual, the whole nobody's perfect thing when it comes to abuse is so invalidating. And it also, it doesn't hold people accountable. It's like, oops, they made a mistake. Oops. Like, no, abuse is not a mistake. It's not an accident. So that's one of my major issues is that these people always come to the defense of anything that's happened. It's all about defending their group or their ideology. But and then so, you get punished. Yes. So yeah, I was expelled. What the heck? So I know they, and the thing is like, I came out of the closet in that interview and they didn't bring up my sexuality because they didn't want another lawsuit, I think against them because they've done that in the past. Um, but they just said, oh, because you don't align with our beliefs and not as a Christian anymore, you can't be here. So they, yeah, they expelled me. But do you think that they were kind of waiting for the right moment to kick you out? And I they saw this as like, oh, perfect. Um, I don't know if they were waiting to kick me out before that interview. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know what would have happened. I'm curious what would have happened if I just released the series and never did the interview. But I'm, I'm still glad I did do the interview. I don't think I would change it because things have worked out pretty well now. Good. So that leads me to kind of asking like to the wrap up questions. Um, so what has happened since you've left uh, this university? Mm. Yeah. So when I was expelled, I realized, and again, like we talked about much earlier about the, the feelings of relief, but still anxiety and uncertainty. But yeah, when I was expelled, it was just like, Oh, like it was like after all these years, I can finally leave and having at least the weight of that and i remember just after that happened just like crying my eyes out just so many so much pent-up emotions and energy and tensions that i was just like just started crying and thankfully you know that family i had met they saw the interview and so when i was kicked out they were like yeah you can come live with us you don't have to go back to the ifb or in that environment again and so that happened over a year ago so i've been living with them since and i transferred to a different college i had to redo one semester but it, it wasn't in the world but i'm set to graduate in um in may of 2023 so may of this year i'm set to finally graduate into uh -huh. that. yeah so it's in four weeks ish so 
Oh, yes, yeah, is exciting. So yes. yeah, I'm, I'm almost done with my bachelor's, so I'm excited about that. And I've just since I left, like I've kept speaking up about it. I've been on so many different podcasts to share my story and providing resources and information online through my social media. And I think, yeah, it was back in April of 2022, I was hired as a social media manager for the indoctrination podcast um, which is hosted by rachel bernstein and it's been great being on their team and helping them grow their social media and their message and really having a job with a sense of um purpose um because you know before this expulsion happened there were so many things that like what i wanted to do but like i couldn't in that environment and so one another one of the things I wanted to do was like really help um, other LGBTQ plus survivors. And so recently I've become involved with the organization called Courage 365, and I'm going to be a group facilitator for um, a support group for LGBTQ survivors. So I'm excited to get to help other people share my story and like build the life that I want, not what people told me I had to do or had to live and really like functioning has been helpful because of therapy therapy has been so helpful and also writing has been helpful in helping me continuing to heal and continuing to process that trauma and that indoctrination well it sounds like you're very busy <laughs> yeah do doing positive things and although you're not soul winning uh <laughs> it sounds like you're doing a lot of um helping people because they're hearing your message they're hearing your journey mm -hmm. and yeah i'm sure you've gotten a lot of hate you know a mm, lot of yeah a, a lot of us who uh do the podcast or you know who are on this journey receive a lot of hate so it really does take a lot of courage and bravery to get on the mic and do this mm. and it's so awesome to hear that you're helping indoctrination uh, I love hearing that podcast. So shout out to that podcast. Yes. Uh, um, any so after you graduate, what's if you don't mind me asking, uh, what's next in the horizon? Yeah. Um, I know I do want to seek a master's in like clinical mental health or, or counseling to become a therapist. Um, I think when I graduate my bachelor's, I'm going to take a little break because I think I need it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I deserve that. <laughs> are, are you going to take a break so that you can focus on your book? I think you're writing a book. Oh yeah, I am. I know I'm, I'm really excited because, um, especially like I haven't, the first draft of the book is done, but I, I think there's, there's so many more drafts to be written and edited with it, but I've kind of taken, I've taken a, I've stepped back from it this year. So I think when I graduate in a month, I'm going to get back to that. And um, because it's a, it's something I've been working on for several years and I don't know when I'm going to release it, like whatever I feel like that's right, but I'm, I'm excited for it because as I, you know, I'm hoping when I do publish it by that time, I will be a therapist. So I would have been able to add at least like my story into it and also um this like the psychological terms and the concepts into it to kind of help other people process that um and so yeah that's that's in the works and 
um yeah i'm I'm excited i'm not like i said i don't know when it's going to come out but i'm excited for it and i'm excited for you too uh where can people find some of your works yeah so i'm very active on facebook instagram youtube um i can't remember anyways just basically all the socials TikTok, which TikTok might be banned soon. I don't know, but <laughs> we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see. I've we'll see. I've been like not posting on TikTok as much because I'm like, is this even worth it anymore? Is this going to get banned? But um, all the socials, just search Andrew Pledger. And um, yeah, like, please reach out, message me, anyone who's listening. And and I think you'll link my link tree in the notes. And I think people, they can find my photo series through that. And if they want to see the Joshua Harris interview. Yes, that'll be fantastic. And I'll be adding all those links to your link tree uh, on the show notes so people can find your work mm-hmm. and support you. Uh, so thank you very much, Andrew. It's been uh-huh. an honor to have you on the show. And again, listeners, check out his work, check out his podcast. Subscribe to his YouTube and thank you so much for listening.